While the world is quick to tell you all that it's against, Uptown Church wants you to know where for. We're for doing what's right and fixing what's wrong. We're for lifting up prayers and breaking down barriers. We're for the brightest, boldest, loneliest, finest, and most flawed among us. And most importantly, we're for you. Uptown Church. In the city. For the city. Good morning, everyone. Good to see you. If I haven't met you yet, my name is Elizabeth Mosley, and I am one of the pastors here at Uptown Church, and it's so good to be with you. As Jake said, our campus pastor, Joy, is on vacation still. She gets back today, though, so y'all pray for her as she and her family travel back into Dallas. Uh, She'll be with us this coming week and next week, so that'll be great, but you get me for one more Sunday. Yes, and it's a good Sunday, right? Happy 4th of July, y'all. Yeah, that's kind of fun, Sunday, 4th of July on a Sunday. Um, I actually, weirdly, was just in New York City with my family. Three kids, we did it all. It was exhausting, but I got notes and tips, so if you're ever going there with kiddos, you just let me know. I'll tell you what not to do for sure. (laughs) Uh, But anyway, it was awesome. We we got to see the Statue of Liberty, which is just, y'all, what a powerful symbol, right? The Statue of Liberty is such a powerful symbol for our nation, welcoming the teeming masses who are yearning to breathe free, like the poem says. And it was a good reminder. It was a good reminder, honestly, being there that even though I believe our country needs to continually work in order to live up to those ideals, to live up to those symbols of justice and freedom and liberty for all, It's worth celebrating the freedoms that we do have, the freedom to gather together, the freedom that any religion has to gather together and to celebrate their faith, just like we're doing today. That certainly is something to commemorate every year. And so I hope that you are having a 4th of July celebration, whatever that might look like. And here we are gonna do that by continuing in our summer sermon series that we've been calling Red Letters. We called it Red Letters kind of off the TED Talk theme because Red Letters is, uh, is how many Bibles in red print designate the words of Jesus. And so we're looking then at the words of Jesus. And specifically in this sermon series, we're looking at the parables of Jesus. Now parables, remind, just to remind you, are stories that Jesus tells Stories that incorporate all sorts of different characters, that connect to people's real lives, that include analogy and symbols that people would recognize. And he tells these stories in order to help people understand God better. So parables are stories that tell us about God, that actually also tell us about ourselves and tell us about others and how we are all supposed to relate. The parables can be challenging and meaningful and super deep, and they have all these layers. And I'm so excited to talk about another parable of Jesus with you today. Um, Do y'all ever compare yourself with others? Anybody? Compare yourself with others? Yeah, yeah, okay, you can just basically all raise your hands because... uh, Because we all do it all the time, right? I mean, social media makes it super easy these days, 
we're scrolling through and we see all these people doing some fabulous things. Like if you were following me on Instagram, you would have seen my amazing trip to New York City that we took. Believe me though, I just posted the highlights, okay? <laughs> and we know this, right? We know that there's a highlight reel on social media, but some of those highlights seem pretty darn high. <laughs> It's easy to compare our lives to other people on social media. I mean, look, we walk into work, we walk into a class, we walk into the grocery store, heck, we probably walk into church. And it is so hard not to immediately size other people up, right, and compare ourselves to them almost instantaneously. Now, I grew up with two younger sisters, and we were all within three years, within three years, right? And we compared ourselves to each other a lot. There was a lot of competition in my household. But then I became a mom. And moms, we're the worst at comparing ourselves to others. Yeah, if you're not a mom yet, you just freaking wait, okay? We are the worst, because you know what? We don't just compare ourselves to other moms, we compare our kids to other kids. Am I right? Yeah, I see some moms out there nodding. Yep, there you go. I see you nodding. It's so hard not to compare ourselves to other people. We compare ourselves, we compare just about anything to just about anyone, right? And it's hard because it can so often make us feel so bad about ourselves, doesn't it? We compare our work to other people. How about our relationships? You ever compared your relationship to someone else's relationship? Oh, they look like they might be a little happier, maybe a little healthier, maybe a little better than us. We compare our success to other people's success. We compare our, compare our physical traits to other people's physical traits. And this is a huge, huge problem, our tendency to do this. It can actually have significant impact, negative impact on our mental health. Did you know that more teenagers, you might have seen articles about this, more teenagers than ever before are requesting plastic surgery to make themselves look like filters, Instagram and TikTok and Snapchat filters. They are requesting plastic surgery to make them look like this. This, this is a huge problem. It has significant impact on our mental health. And I know all of this. I mean, we know that comparing ourselves to others is not good. But y'all, I mean, I do this all of the time. Okay, here's another question for you. Have you ever compared yourself to someone else and liked it? Yeah? Because when you saw how their life was, you realized that your life was so much better. Okay, I'm not the only one who does this, right? But yeah, like I do it a lot, and I do it specifically while driving. I get behind the wheel, and something happens, and everyone else becomes morons. And I can't help it, but I literally think I'm the best driver, and everybody else is the worst. And I actually tell my kids, if they're in the car, I'll be like, don't do what that guy just did when you start to drive. You know, I mean, like, it's bad. I start thinking of myself really highly when I get behind the wheel. Y'all, come on, I'm not the only one, right? We do this at work, we do this with friends, we do this at people's houses, okay? Y'all, I go to a friend's house and I love going to her house. You know why? Because it's messier than mine. That's why I like going to my friend. I mean, she's my friend, but like also, I really appreciate that it makes me feel better about my house, okay? And it's no one in here, no one in here. 
that I'm going to admit. <laughs> we do this all the time. We compare ourselves to other people, and we shouldn't because a lot of times it makes it feel bad. Um, it makes us feel bad. But then other times it makes us feel really good. And regardless, we just can't stop doing it. And it's a huge, huge problem because ultimately, what comparing ourselves to other people does is it gives us an unhealthy sense of shame or an unhealthy sense of pride. When we compare ourselves to others, it gives us an unhealthy sense of shame or an unhealthy sense of pride, and yet we do it all the time. And God bless him, but Jesus knows this. Y'all, Jesus knows that we do this. Jesus knows that we do this, and so Jesus tells a parable. Jesus tells a parable, and just in case you weren't really sure where he is going with the parable, the author of the Gospel of Luke starts with this line here. So Jesus tells this parable. Who does he tell it to? To some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and regarded others with contempt. Right? Okay, sets it up. We already know. We already know where this is going. And we already know where we want to be involved in this. He starts this parable in this way. Two men went up to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. Already we have these dueling characters who are part of this. The Pharisee, standing by himself, was praying thus. God, I thank you that I am not like other people. Thieves and rogues and adulterers are even like this tax collector right here this guy. I fast twice a week, and I give a tenth of all my income. But the tax collector, this guy, standing far off, would not even look up to heaven, but was beating his breast, which is a sign of contrition and mourning, beating his breast and saying, God be merciful to me, a sinner. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And Jesus wraps it up. That's it. That was the parable. I tell you this. This man went down to his home justified alongside the other, for all who exalt themselves will be humbled, but all who humble themselves will be exalted. You know, when I read parables, I can't help but ask, is this parable talking to me? Let's see, he told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and regarded others with contempt. Yeah, 100%. Mm -hmm. This parable is talking to me. And at first glance, it seems pretty straightforward, doesn't it? At first glance, it's just two guys that Jesus holds up side by side, almost as a way of inviting his listeners to consider which one of these two characters they should model their lives after. And as soon as we hear what the characters say, it becomes obvious, right? Like, that's not even a question. We cringe a little, at least I do, when you hear the Pharisee's prayer, right? It's so obvious that he has contempt for others and that he is full of self-righteousness. I mean, he literally starts with saying, thank you that I'm not like other people. 
And then he uses this tax collector as like a living example of the people that he's so glad he's not like. And he lists his accomplishments. And let me just tell you the things that he says, those are, are, are even beyond what the law required at the time, both in terms of giving, tithing, and in terms of fasting. The Pharisee is basically like, I'm so awesome, thanks for not letting me be like those people. It's so cringeworthy when we read that prayer. And I'll tell you, this actually would have surprised the original hearers of this parable. Because while we might be biased to some extent against the Pharisees off the bat, because of how often they challenge and go against Jesus, in the same way that we might be biased for and towards the tax collectors, because we might know how often Jesus hangs out with the tax collectors, the original hearers of this parable would have seen these two characters very differently. You see, the Pharisees, in general, were good guys. They were holy men, who wanted to help other people to be holy. And so they tried to help other people to follow the Torah, the law, because that is how they would have right relationship with God. The Pharisees had that desire. They wanted to be in right relationship with God, and they wanted to help other people be in right relationship with God by following the law. And so in general, they were, they were pretty good guys. Now, tax collectors, on the other hand, they worked for Rome. They would literally, as the title implies, go around and collect taxes from their communities, the Jewish people of whom they were one, and then they would give that tax to Rome. That was their job. So not only did they work with the Roman Empire, this oppressive regime, but often they took advantage of an already corrupt system in order to line their own pockets. They would gouge their own community in order to become richer themselves. So the first listeners of this would see the characters like that. And yet, it was the tax collector's prayer that is so simple and so straightforward and so humble he doesn't make excuses. He doesn't try to justify himself. He looks to God for mercy. And that's it. God, have mercy on me, a sinner. You know, even if we weren't already biased towards the tax collector, just hearing that prayer, seeing those two prayers held up to each other, I mean, we pretty much automatically side with the tax collector, don't we? But that creates a level of irony in this parable, doesn't it? Because you know what I think immediately? Thank God I am not like that Pharisee in this story. Did you go there too? A little bit, a little bit? And just to make sure you understand that we're like all on the same level of how meta this is, Jesus is basically comparing two characters, one of whom is comparing himself to the other, and then asks us to compare ourselves to both of them. Like, that is what's happening in this parable about comparison. Now, as we've said over and over and over again, the parables have layers, 
and there's this richness in the depth of them if we spend time to actually dig through and sort it out. So here's a question. If this parable is, as the first line kind of implies, about how comparison is bad, why does Jesus then do the thing that he is warning us not to do? Why why does Jesus compare these two characters knowing that we would automatically compare ourselves to these two characters? Maybe, maybe it's because comparison is not always bad. Now hear me out. Look, comparing ourselves to others absolutely can be tricky. Like we said, it can lead to unhealthy amounts of shame and unhealthy amounts of pride. It can lead to some massive mental health issues for sure. And yet, comparisons can actually be helpful. I mean, think about it. It's quick to, we're quick to see the Pharisee as the bad guy. But actually, the Pharisee is doing a lot of good stuff. And if we just needed to kind of compare our life to the Pharisee, like, that's a life that we would want to emulate. I mean, we should, like, not cheat on our spouse. And we should be generous. And we should fast. And we should do things that help and honor other people, right? Like, not steal from our neighbors. Like, those are things we should do. And the tax collector, although his prayer is amazing and powerful and simple and humble, we don't actually know where it comes from. Unlike other stories of other tax collectors, we don't know if this tax collector changes his life. He might turn around and go right back to feeding into the same corrupt and abusive system that he was a part of all along. And that's not how we should live our lives. We should not be feeding into corrupt or abusive systems no matter how rich they make us. Side-by-side -side comparison can be helpful. If anything, if we compare ourselves to these two characters, we, we should live like the Pharisee and we should pray like the tax collector. But look, we buy things online all the time and don't you click on the compare the two items to figure out which one is best for you? And what about, what about when we compare ourselves to someone else so that it gives us a sense of where we are relative to our orientation towards progress. What if we compare ourselves to other people who are a little bit further down the path than we are, so that we can see actually the potential that we have for our lives. Y'all, we have a name for that, it's called mentorship. Comparing ourselves to other people can actually be helpful because it allows us to see the possibility for a life that we maybe couldn't see on our own. Do y'all know the story of, um, of how the four-minute mile was broken, like running, how they broke the four-minute mile? So um, Roger Bannister broke the four-minute mile for the very first time in 1954, 1954. And we know that for at least 65 years, people had been trying to break the four-minute mile, at least 65 years. And he broke it, and it was like incredible and mind-blowing to people, and people were like, oh my gosh, this is amazing! And it was like unheard of that this could have happened. And then 46 days later, another person broke the four-minute mile. 
And then a year after that, three people broke the four-minute mile in one race. And since 1954, over 1,000 people have broken the four-minute mile. You know what's wild about that? It's almost like they had to see that someone else could do it to believe that they could do it. Sometimes comparing ourselves to others can help us to see beyond our current realities. It can give us a vision for our lives that we could not get on our own. Our life doesn't have to be like this. It doesn't have to stay like this. More is possible. I can move beyond this. That's powerful. That's something our faith proclaims over and over and over again. Friends, God loves us and calls us and strengthens us. Jesus saves us for something. That's the whole point of Jesus' presence on earth, really, is to cast God's vision before us of the kingdom of God. Jesus says over and over again, the kingdom of God is here. The kingdom of God is like. Jesus casts this vision of the kingdom of God before us where everyone is welcomed and everyone is fed and everyone is healed and everyone is forgiven. That's a powerful vision to have before us. That's a powerful way for us to engage and see where we are relative to this vision, this fulfillment of this vision. God casts this vision through the life of Christ before us. Because wherever we are now, we know that God promises what will be. And when we compare our lives to where we are now, to the life that God promises to us, life abundant, life eternal, friends, that's where hope comes from. Comparing our lives to others can give us hope. Comparing our lives to the, to the promise of eternal life that God has for us, that gives us hope. But how do we experience that kind of comparison? Right, because remember, comparison is hard. It can cause a lot of shame, it can cause a lot of pride. How do we switch the type of comparison that we experience from shame and pride to encouragement? and hope and strength? How do we do that shift? I think, based on this parable, that the key is connection. When we are connected to someone, then comparison is no longer a threat. When we are connected to someone, when we are in relationship with someone, when we care about someone, when we know someone, when we are for someone, then comparison to them is no longer a threat. You know, um, one of the first things that I noticed when I read this parable, I actually had to read it a lot of times to notice this. I noticed that first line and I had skipped over it a lot. It said, two men go up to the temple to pray. You know what I noticed is that at the beginning of this parable, they're both in the temple. They're both in the same place. They're both at the same starting point. They're both in the temple. Friends, the temple 
was a place that Jewish people went to connect to God. It was a place that they went to pray. It was a place that they went to be made right with God, to be put back into right relationship with God. The temple, yes, had some issues and some limits about who could go where and all that, but actually the temple was pretty big and there were places for non-Jews and Gentiles and people of all faiths to go and to pray and to be close to God. In this parable, the temple is actually a character. Think about it that way. And the temple represents connection and community. As different as both of these men are, as different as they might interact after they go up to pray in their prayers, because they're in the temple together, they are equal. They are connected. The Pharisee compares himself to the tax collector, and in that way, what does his prayer actually do? It disconnects him from the tax collector. And yet, because of where he is and because of where the tax collector is, they are still connected. And I love this. They both leave justified. Now, the word there, the word that we translated alongside, one is justified alongside the other, that is often and can be translated as rather than. One is justified rather than the other. But the root word is the same as the root word for parallel, alongside, and most commonly was used in that way. Now think about that. They both leave justified one alongside the other. For the first listeners, the people who heard this for the first time, who had those ideas of these two characters in their heads, the fact that at the end the tax collector leaves justified alongside the Pharisee would have been shocking. Just like it might be shocking for us to think of the Pharisee as justified alongside the tax collector. And that's because it is easy to compare these two people, these two characters to each other, just like it's easy for us to compare our lives to other people's. And it's a lot harder for us to remember that God extends grace and mercy to them equally. Look, we... We should not compare ourselves to others as best we can because it can lead to unhealthy pride and shame. But when we are in connection with others, when we are in community, when we are in relationship with others, comparison can create energy. It can create encouragement and determination and strength. Now look, I don't work out, okay? Which is probably obvious. <laughs> but I know a lot of y'all do. Y'all go to these amazing classes and gyms that have changed the structure to create community around working out, right? And there is competition and there's even ranking 
That's a part of this whole process. And I have never seen this in real life, because again, I don't go to these classes, but I have seen y'all post these pictures of this, where you go to a class, and it's incredible, and everyone is around, and everybody's doing the same thing, and everybody's cheering each other on. And everyone's encouraging each other. And you see someone who's a little bit faster than you, and you're motivated to try that much harder the next time. And when someone achieves some sort of goal, everybody cheers and celebrates them and is supportive of them. And the whole idea is that we're connected, that we're in community. And so your work does not change me. This isn't a zero-sum game. Shouldn't the church be like this? Shouldn't the church be a place where we welcome everybody just as they are and encourage them to get better? Shouldn't the church be a place where we are so excited and, and encouraging and supportive of someone as they grow in a relationship with God and they, and they experience God's love and mercy and forgiveness maybe for the first time? Shouldn't, shouldn't we be cheering as people's lives are transformed to look like the kingdom of God, this vision that Jesus has set before us? Shouldn't the church, y'all, this is the church, this is what we want this church to be like. This is exactly what we want Uptown Church to be like. We want Uptown Church to be like this, where, where what you do matters to me and vice versa, where we are actually each other's keepers, where where your success is something for me to celebrate and not be threatened by. I think, look, that's what the temple was for the Jews. That's what our church, that's what we want this church to be. And I'm going to say today, I think in so many ways, this is the hope and the, the aspiration for our country as well. Today, on this day, we can say that, that we hope our country is a place where true freedom is not that you get to do whatever you want, but it's to, to be able to show up just as you are and not be afraid of discrimination or judgment or condemnation or shame. The good news, <laughs> the good news is that if you are out here and as we all do, we can't help but compare ourselves to these characters. If you're out here today and you're just feeling a little bit like that tax collector, like that's the prayer that you are holding in your heart today. God, forgive me, a sinner. Have mercy on me, a sinner. If that's you, uh, you're welcome here. And we're really glad you're here. And there's space for you here. And there's community for you here. And you know what? If you are sitting out there and feeling a little, little bit like that Pharisee, feeling a little good about yourself, glad you're not like those other people. God loves you too. And God extends mercy to you as well. And that is something to celebrate. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you. We thank you that you have made us just who we are. That 
Whoever we tend to compare ourselves to, you know us and you see us and you love us and that you call us to be better. Lord, cast your vision once again before us of your kingdom. Help us to see the reality that you have declared where all truly are welcome, where mercy and justice rain down like water and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. And Lord, help us, strengthen us as we, as we participate in that vision. God, give us the gift of your Holy Spirit to encourage us and then help us to encourage each other, Lord, as you bind this community, this church together. God, we are so grateful for your love, which makes all of this possible. Help us, Lord, help us this week to love you and one another more. We pray this in the name of Jesus and with confidence that your spirit is with us. Amen. Thanks for listening today. Want to connect with Uptown Church? Visit uptownchurchdallas.org or follow us on Instagram. And be sure to join us on Sundays at 10 a.m. for in-person worship at House of Blues in Dallas. God is with you. God is for you. Go in peace.